Welcome to the Scottish Documentary Institute podcast. My name is Jonathan Melville and this is the second episode focusing on our series of films developed for broadcast on BBC Scotland in association with Screen Scotland as part of the Right Here initiative. Right Here explores the rich diversity of Scottish identity through character-driven stories and beautiful imagery. And this episode we're discussing Zoe Hunter-Gordon and Kieran Hennigan's 30-minute film Our Fathers, which is available now on BBC iPlayer. Well, there you can also watch the other two films in the series, Long Live Livy and Time to Fly. Our Fathers introduces viewers to Father Max and Father James, who have been sent on a mission to Scotland by the Bishop of Abba, Nigeria, due to a shortage of priests in the Scottish Highlands. Will their humour and songs keep these remote communities alive? In this interview recorded on Zoom, Zoe and Kieran discuss the process of bringing their idea to TV screens and collaborating as co-directors. You can also watch a video of the discussion on our website at scottish.institute.com forward slash masterclasses. So I'll maybe stop talking quite as much and uh, maybe just ask Kieran and Zoe to maybe just introduce yourselves, first of all. Um, obviously, well, you, were the, you are the co-directors of the film that everyone's just watched and loved. But maybe you could talk a little bit, just you know, give us a bit of a background as to how you got to to our fathers, what were you doing before that and what's some of your, some of the things you've worked on in the past? You wanna go for it, Karen? <laughs> sure. So um, basically Zoe and I, if we, if we rewind to the start of 2019, I think, uh, Zoe and I both uh, took part in a, in a small kind of short uh, development program for, ch- uh, for BBC4 and BFI. And we each made a kind of a 10 minute short for broadcast, which were probably both our first broadcast programs. And back in the day when you were actually allowed to meet up for drinks and socialize and everything, we actually met for the first time in the, in the kind of post screening drink session. And uh, we got, we got talking and uh, Zoe mentioned that one day she'd like to make a documentary about, uh, a couple of Nigerian priests who were up in the Highlands. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And then didn't really think anything more about it. And then the opportunity for Right Here came up, which was obviously for a 30 minute documentary. And nothing I was kind of in development with kind of fitted the bill. And and then getting pretty close to the deadline, I suddenly remembered, <laughs> I suddenly remembered Zoe at the post uh, the post show drinks talking about this um, this documentary idea. So I got in touch and it all kind of went from there. Yeah, I feel like what what Karen's missing out is that one I was drunk and two I was like very fangirly because if anyone hasn't watched Outlying, which was Karen's first doc, it's really beautiful. Thomas also shot it. Um, and it just had like a much slower pace than my film and was a lot more observational. And yeah, I just really, really loved his film. So I was very much like, it would be really cool to work with you. So yeah, when he then did Call About Right Here, it felt like a really, felt like a fantastic opportunity really to not only tell the story that I wanted to tell, but also to get a chance to work with Kieran uh, and Thomas, which was great. Cool. So, so you had this, this, you know, a, a rough idea, I suppose, then of, of what you wanted to do. 
Um, how did that then sort of end up as what you ended up making? You know, what 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 were the sort of stages going from from talking and, and um, planning out a bit more and scoping it out and and of course even getting agreement from yeah, I father, mean, father, father, the fathers. That's the thing about docs. I just think that like you access is to, is key, right? Without without the permission, or not not even permission, without the collaboration and desire from your contributors to actually want a film to be made about them, it's a complete non-starter. So I was familiar with the fathers. They led my grandmother's funeral, and I have family in the Highlands who they they know of. They've also done christenings for my family. So I sent them an email, and they probably didn't know who I was, but they probably knew who my surname was, if you know what I mean. Um, so we had a nice chat on the phone and they were immediately very excited about the idea of the film. So from the off, I knew that we were in a really good place. It wasn't a convincing, it wasn't a persuasion. It was a, you want to make a film about us that could go on the BBC? Oh my God, definitely, yes, please. So from there, Kieran and I worked up, it was a one pager, wasn't it? It was just a one page treatment at that point. Yeah, it might have been a couple of pages, but it was pretty short and to the point. Yeah. And then we went on a nice little trip up to Bewley, just me and Kieran to do some filming. Um, and that's when I think we just had confidence that it was definitely going to work because they were so, so lovely, basically, and just so charismatic. And I hope everyone who's watched the film that they are the film. Um, and Kieran was on camera. Um, and we then worked up that trailer with Noe's input, and that's when we then pitched to the commissioners and got it, which was great. So that was in August. Um, feels, like so long, it feels like so long ago, doesn't it? I know, it? it feels like so long ago. Um, and I think at that point, actually, at the beginning, we also had lots of different ideas about what the film could be. I actually think I was quite interested in the idea of, so I went to a church school, um, and I was quite interested in the idea of faith, declining and that's been a theme that has interested me for a long time actually um, but it became quite clear when we pitched that that wasn't necessarily something that Creative Scotland or BBC Scotland were potentially that interested in but I think that's another thing as a documentary maker I think you're always responding to commissioners and to you know who have an idea of what audience will want so that theme was quite quickly discarded um, and then we worked and then yeah we, we, we won the commission um, I'm trying to think what happened next, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, so it was it was August last year. We basically, in order to pitch um to BBC Scotland, to Creative Scotland, um, obviously we had to pitch in person and uh, obviously communicate how we would how we would do it, but you also need to present visual material. So it was quite a hastily arranged thing that, yeah, as Zoe said, we kind of hiked on up to the Highlands and spent a weekend with them. And that was the first time I'd met them. Uh, Zoe had obviously been talking to them on the phone. Had you actually met Father James and Father Max before that? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they'd done Christmas and funerals, but I don't think they knew who I was really. Yeah, and at that point, um, I was probably still going on the fact that Zoe had told me um, how amazing uh, both, these, uh, both these people were. And as soon as I met them, I, I was also kind of convinced that they would make a, amazing characters for for a film um, in terms of their kind of their personalities, their joyfulness. Um, I mean, even their laughs. I mean, I just I cannot stop. La as soon as they start laughing, I cannot stop laughing myself. And 
So I figured, you know, pretty early on, as soon as I met them, I was like, regardless of what themes that, you know, the documentary is, is kind of touching on, I, I thought it would be engaging as long as the two of them were kind of at the helm of it. So, yeah, and then we got the, then we got successfully commissioned, which was great. And then we had, so that was in August, we got commissioned and then we basically had until the 1st of February to, to, to deliver it yeah. at that point, I think. Mm -hmm. so then we set, set about the production process. Well, when you do get into that production process, I mean, I guess the first thing, well, you, you tell me, I've never made a documentary, but I'm guessing one of the first things you have to do is look at your budget and then try and work out how much time you've got to, um, to go and film. I mean, was there any kind of toing and froing? Because I think Noe, who sadly hasn't joined us yet, but I'm guessing Noe was involved, um, maybe helping or advising on how many days you could go. So was there sort of toing and froing? You say, no, we need more, or did you just not know at the start how many days you would need, or how did that kind of? I think I don't know. What do you think, Karen? I don't think we really. I didn't have. I didn't know how long we'd need, because. Because really, I think with observational documentary, what, what's so difficult is that you're not sure what moments you're going to get. And I think I'm actually quite a cautious filmmaker and, and, um, and probably overestimated. I was very much like, we'll need loads of time. We have no idea what they'll do. Everything might be really boring. I think Kieran was more confident than me. He was like, it will, it will be fine. Whatever they do, it will be great. Which is why it was a good co-directing team. Um, but I think we were roughly always thinking two to three weeks, weren't we? And I think budget was like, we'll wait two weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember that. Days. I don't... So, so, yeah, I remember that being quite dictated by Noe, actually, because at this time, the only thing that Zoe and I had made for a broadcast were kind of 10 minute. So we were very much learning a lot as we were going with regards to making a 30 minute documentary. And especially, yeah, as Zoe says, with kind of observational, how long do you actually need? And Zoe, and Noe basically said, I think this is a two week job. Yeah. So what we did was we split the, we did a week filming in September and we, we did a week filming in December, basically. Oh and my yeah. God, Christmas was going to be the arc. I can't, this is so funny. I forgot about that. How did I forget about that? These guys are not because they're like, that was in all the documents they saw. That was the story of the film. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so our, 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 our original, our, our, our original kind of story arc, we obviously it's an observational documentary, so we weren't exactly sure how it was going to piece together. Um, but we were originally thinking that it would be the build up to Christmas. So, and obviously the changing of seasons and, you know, the, it's one thing um, for uh, our priests to be in Scotland in the summer, but it's another thing for them to be there in, you know, in the depths of winter. And, um, we, you know, we were thinking that that could be a nice kind of arc. As it turned out, the, the, the first... In, I think maybe the third day we were there, they ended up doing this concert in yeah. Fox's town hall. And again, we kind of went along thinking that it'll be, it'll be good, but we didn't realize it would be quite so good and so enthralling. And it naturally led, it was a nice, it was always going to be quite a nice kind of climactic scene. So 
that ended up becoming the 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 thing that the the documentary builds to and finishes with um but that actually came in one of the first days of shooting oh. um and so yeah and were there lots of bits that we didn't get to see because i guess half an hour is um in one way it's loads of time and another way i guess it's just nothing so were there things that you wanted to put in that you didn't put in? And I know we've got a couple of the guys that worked worked with you on the film. I don't know if they wanted to, to join in at any point, but but yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about things we didn't see. Oh yeah, poor Erica and me. <laughs> Erica's like, I mean, how many different <laughs> versions of the film were there, Erica? Like so many. Do you want to introduce yourself, Erica? Just hi, my name is Erica, and uh, I edited uh, our fathers. Um, yeah, we did different versions. So I think actually the first edit we had, well, assembly, we had Christmas and it was actually quite heavy. And yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, so it was maybe, well, all the last parts of the film. And there were some really nice moments. Uh, there was a moment that I used to love uh, where um, it's the city center and you have all the lights. And it's basically, they just turn them on and there's loads of children. And uh, um, Santa Claus arrives uh, with the firemen, you know, with the lights on. And it, it was the most bizarre kind of, uh, the most bizarre scene. Because initially I kind of, I was looking at the rushes and I thought, oh my God, there's been an accident. And then they actually park and the children start screaming and running. And uh, yeah. And Santa Claus comes out of it. It was really, really weird. <laughs> yeah, I was super attached to that scene because in my head, I was like, look, elderly population and all the kids love Santa Claus, like commercialism. It's so different <laughs> to religion. Look at all this intellectual stuff. And then you kind of realize as you work on, as you work in the edit, that actually you can be very intellectual with a story structure in your head. But if something isn't emotionally moving you and it isn't making emotional sense, you've just got to get rid of it. And I think that's why filmmaking is, collaborative right um because you can't necessarily see that when you're when you're deep in the rushes and when you and thinking about this for so long and when you've got this thing that you want to tell um was there a favorite bit of yours kieran that got cut yeah maybe not maybe not my favorite um because my favorite bit is already in the documentary which is the rehearsal scene which uh with the four priests in the living room which i think yeah. is is a, an absolute standout moment for me um, but probably quite a key scene is when we went to Aberdeen with Father James. Oh my God, yeah. So, and at this point, I might also bring in Tom on the conversation, who, uh, who was with us for a lot of the journey and filmed uh, a vast portion of the film. So a lot of the beautiful cinematography is down to Thomas Hogbin. Tom, do you want to unmute yourself? And you can maybe tell us about the, the, Aberdeen, the Aberdeen scene that we went, that we went to film. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I, I was surprised that, I know it doesn't fit into the narrative, but I really was so surprised by that because we went to visit, it was a woman's only um, service uh, at the church in Aberdeen, and it could not have been more different to the, the services in Cannock. It was, everyone was singing, it was so vibrant, there was so much energy. It was just worlds away. And it really, uh, it felt like Father James's, um, uh, the, the scene with his iPad when he's reminiscing back to his church at home. It felt like we were back, 
back home with him and you could just see how much he enjoyed it as well and he really um it really kept him kind of recharged his batteries so that when he went back to the smaller congregations that were much more traditional uh, with a more traditional focus um he kind of kept him going and I, and I I really I really liked it I really loved that bit um but I think talking about favorite scenes I think the maps when they're looking through the maps for me is my absolute favorite bit I just think that the way that it's cut as well and it just holds and then what they're if James and Max are pushing the maps out of the way of each other I just thought that was just so lovely yeah it's so funny you're right Tom if you told me that Aberdeen would have got cut because we also like the access for that was quite complicated because it was this Nigerian community in Aberdeen we didn't really have any connection with that community apart from with Father James and it was a women's only service. So like it was quite, you know, it was a safe space in some ways for, for, these, for this immigrant community. So for us to just come in there as three white filmmakers, um, you know, it was like the only space we went to in the film where we were the like outsiders really, as opposed to in Beauty where they are the outsiders. Um, so I loved it, but ultimately it just didn't really, we didn't have the time to get into it and it wasn't a film it's not a film about Nigerian religious culture versus Scottish religious culture. We don't have the space for that. And again, kind of quite intellectual. I think that's what was difficult when we were all reviewing it, like Kieran and I and Erica, when we were watching that footage over again, watching those rushes, it was like, what do we feel here? We didn't like, it felt like more like, like, like an intellectual, interesting comparison rather than like an emotional one. But if we'd had longer, and if we'd had longer to maybe be with that community, I mean, this is what always happens when you start making a film. You're just like, great, give me more money. I'll make you a feature. You know, you're just always. And when we met Father Peter and Father Kingsley and realized there are, you know, there are so many of these communities actually dotted all over the Highlands. You just, yeah, you want to, you want to kind of dig into them. But we just didn't really have the time, I think. Would you agree with that, Kieran? I'm trying to remember when that scene went. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would concur. <laughs> yeah. Not emotional. And did the film, so that original pitch that you did that got the film commissioned, did the film change at all? So once you got out there and you started doing your, well, your filming, um, you know, when it came to the edit, did you, do, you, do you think the story changed at all? Do you think it, I mean, I'm guessing the same, or, or the basic concept was there, but do you think anything changed that, that you wouldn't have predicted changing? Um. Yeah, I've actually got the treatment. I've got the original treatment up here. Shall I, shall I, read, you the, shall I read you the tagline of what we... For it, yeah. Um, in 2015, the Bishop of Aberdeen wrote to the Bishop of Abba in Nigeria requesting Catholic priests for the parish of Bewley due to a local shortage. Father Max and Father James are those priests called to the Scottish Highlands from Africa to protect and preserve the Catholic faith. On loan from their Bishop in Abba, they're unsure on when exactly and if they will return home. So it may be, yeah, we, I think we obviously toned, it became a little bit more kind of an, of an observational documentary in terms of, you know, their, their life um, in, in Scotland and maybe less hard on that kind of theme and conflict. But um, I think, I think broadly the film always kind of turned out, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't diverge too far from, from what we probably originally envisaged mm -hmm. yeah i agree yeah and, and i wonder as well 
you know, th this was obviously made uh, made for television, uh, really. I mean, it wasn't. It was uh, premiered in, in Glasgow, at the Glasgow Film Festival, uh, and also. I mean, something I noticed with the other, one of the other right here films that we talked about last week, um, Long Live Libby, and of course with this as well, but there's this idea of with, with let's say, normal or traditional um, BBC documentaries, you have a, a narrator. And of course, you don't have that, and your story tells itself very, very well. But I just, So I suppose I'm trying to get around to asking, did you find you had to approach this differently to how you would maybe have done it if it had been for, I don't know, maybe not for television, if you'd been made it, making it for yourself, would you have gone for the narrator style too? Or was there ever, uh, did you ever think, oh, we, I wish we had that? Or was it, was it, and also was it a challenge, I suppose, to, to tell it as, as it is, you know, with the story sort of tells itself and you just, of course it doesn't tell itself because you have got Erica editing it and, and, and creating that story, but um, I suppose then it's really just the, the very long-winded question to ask about the difference between the, your normal your, your TV documentary and the more creative documentary. Um, that was yeah, I mean, sorry about that. No, no, I mean, no, I mean, you're exactly spot on. I think the the specific brief of the of of right here from the SDI is to is to produce a kind of creative documentary and to push boundaries a little bit and, and try something and try something different and um, not not your kind of standard TV documentary if you will so I think Zoe and I both took that as an opportunity to 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 try and do something a little bit different and a little bit outside maybe our comfort zones as well yeah for sure um Although I think it's also worth saying, I would be interested to know what we would have done without, without, without knowing it's for broadcast. Mm. Um, I think that I think that if you go to, I think if you go to film festivals and watch documentary there, people are perhaps a lot uh, more comfortable with an even even slower pace, perhaps, and with. Um, I mean, I know a contentious thing for us was talking heads, but if you if you went back to our kind of early treatment, we visually, and actually Kieran's film outlying had very very minimal talking heads whereas my first doc it'll actually has a lot of talking heads and I really wanted to experiment with none at all um, and that was something that me and Karen had talked about quite a lot earlier in the process um, but towards the end of the edit it became clear that the channel and the commissioners in no way and many people who know lots about documentaries were like we really need to see the talking heads whereas I think if we were just going for festivals I probably would have taken that risk um, so I think that you perhaps are just allowed to be more auteur um, if you're making something theatrically. I mean, I'm sure you have exec producers who are also trying to make sure that you're reaching a wide audience when you release a festival documentary. Of course you are. But yeah, it, it, I think there's, I agree, we were very lucky and we, we, were given a, we were given a lot of creative control, but I think even with a scheme like this for broadcasts, there are still certain uh, expectations that an audience has. So yeah, maybe I'm being slightly too harsh, but I think I think we could have I can think we could have made something a lot more artistic perhaps if we had if we was going to festivals. Um, not to say it would have been a better film, might not have been, but yeah, yeah. they're different. Yeah. And um, I suppose another question, just as as someone, I don't know, as a as a viewer of documentary, sometimes you do wonder, uh, and this is not to to sort of delve too deeply into the secrets, but 
you know, when you are on a limited time frame or, or, or you know, to, to make your documentary and you want certain things to perhaps be said or certain uh, aspects to get across to the viewer, are there any points where you have to sort of, um, and, I, and you know, there, there are, we go back years talking about things being faked, but we're not, I'm not talking about that, but just the idea of nudging the story along or was, was there any time where you sort of felt you had to sort of, um, to do that, to sort of say, okay, we're not going to get this if we don't ask or, or set up this scene or the, uh, the, the concert that you had there as well. Um, or, you know, so do you know what I mean about that? Was there, were there any moments where you thought, oh, we just don't have this yet. How are we going to get this? I suppose that's a better question. Um, I think most of the scenes that happened, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, I think we just followed the story where it went. So, for instance, um, there's a scene there where they go to the football to go see Ross County versus Hibbs. You know, that was, um, you know, uh, Father James saying to us about 5 p.m., oh, by the way, we're going to the football tonight. Um, and so, you know, we were kind of hastily arranging press passes to then, you know, to, to, to join them with football. So I think pretty much everything kind of happened naturally and we didn't steer it too much in, in an artificial direction. I think I'm comfortable saying that. Is that fair? Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I think, I think with documentary, there's always something interesting. There's a very fine line between like observing, um, but then also you're choosing what to observe, right? So but we we kind of we'd, we'd made we'd made the majority of those decisions I feel like pre-shoot as in we always knew we wanted to go to the care home where they did the singing regularly um obviously a different film that was perhaps less focused on community and more focused on faith would have had more services so we kept room for ourselves and we went to hit and well actually these guys went to hit I, I did not go to the cold football um and we went to Aberdeen we kept our eyes open but I think we were also we kind of knew we were interested in caring for the elderly um, but that wasn't artificial. That's what that's what these guys do. I yeah. think the only um, moments that perhaps not pushed for, but that we were like conscious of. But I think you always do this in documentary. It's just the intimacy that we wanted from them. Um, so I think that's always a relationship that you have with your contributors. And I feel like there was maybe a, there were a couple of points where I feel like we had to kind of. Uh, just chat to the fathers and just say what's going to make this film really strong is if you let us in a little bit. And so that means maybe filming you chatting to your family. That, that means maybe being able to see you guys in your living room. And I think perhaps earlier on in the production process, they didn't realize that they were the stars and their personal lives might, might be something that people wanted to see. Um, but I don't think that was ever a pushing. It was just explaining to them that that, that that would help people care more about them and really tell the story. So, and I also think that's, I don't know, it feels like that's a really important relationship in documentary and you have to respect when your contributors say no, right? So that's why documentaries can be awful is when people feel like they've been manipulated. Um, so that's kind of what I meant when I said in the early conversation that we had with the fathers when they were so excited about the film being made. That's, I think, why we both knew that it would be a great film because if we could explain to them why this would help us make a good film, then they'd kind of be up to showing us aspects of their lives that felt personal and that's when for me I know I'm in a really good space with a contributor as opposed to being in a position where you're like oh could I please see this can you let me do you know what I mean mm -hmm. um 
that wasn't very well articulated but no i think that's great and that's kind of more what i was meaning around i mean you, you're you're a director so you have to direct in some way and, and you it's not you know you, you of course you have to speak to your contributors i guess and say okay this is the sort of thing that um people want to see and that we need to see so yeah i realize you weren't I, and i wasn't trying to suggest of course that you would be um again using that terrible word of faking things but you do have to sort of nudge things along slightly or just uh, recommend like you say yeah. um, but i also think would like to see people talk about because i think there are bad documentaries where people do feel manipulated yes and i think actually as documentary makers we need to be really conscious of protecting our landscape and protecting the filmmaking process so that people that you approach as potential contributors have faith that you're going to represent them in a positive light. I mean, something that I find interesting uh, is that people who are more media savvy are perhaps less likely to want to film them. And I think that's sad in a way, like we want to, as documentary makers, we want to hope that people feel safe with us. Um, I would never want to set anyone up. I don't think either Kieran or I would ever want to do that. Um, yeah. Do you mind if I jump in on this? Yeah, um, please. Like, I think it's, yeah, I, I think probably, um, obviously, like, uh, I, I think everybody kind of, yeah, I think that wasn't quite, um, um, obviously, that the, this never been the case, and you would never kind of ask uncomfortable questions and put people in a different light. But I guess we did, like, uh, from a technical point of view, we did have, like, two parts of filming which were separated. And after the first part of filming, we did meet and review all the footage and mm -hmm. kind of, you know, see what do we have and what are we missing? So, for example, like, it was obvious oh, uh, we, that at, after the first shoot, we were missing uh, uh, more interaction with the community mm -hmm. and uh, the side of the community. So I think in that sense, we did kind of make some choices um, without recreating or kind of forcing any scenes. But, you know, when we're up, instead of filming these, let's go and film these because that's yeah. the story. Great, so yeah. I think that's kind of fair to say it wasn't completely, you know, oh, we're going to go up and kind of film whatever happens. There was a little bit of thinking in, uh, in choosing the moments and who to film and who to follow. Erica, you're so right. I forgot that we did that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great having that input. That, that's, a, that's a really important thing to, to mention, I think. Mm. Um, and I should just say, we, we do have a few guests uh, a few with us today. And if anyone wants to ask any questions, please do um, either pop them into the chat section or you can just ask, just, uh, just ask really, I think, because it's quite a, a casual event. You feel free to ask a question. And, and, and if I can just chime in on, the, on what Erica just said, it, it was really important for us and it made the documentary so much better to bring Erica on board nice and early on. To, because Zoe, because we'd obviously spent quite a bit of time with them, you know, you, you do lack a little bit of objectivity. So, so bringing in someone who, with, a, you know, with a fresh pair of eyes to, to go through the footage of what you have and be able to kind of offer solutions and and yeah spy out what what we're missing was was really critical so um so erica was a huge huge part in making the film what it was and erica does that 
I mean, you coming onto a film sort of early, does that sometimes not happen? And you kind of brought on the last minute and you're like, what, what, do, I, what do I do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, I have a little bit of both. Um, yeah, it, it depends. Every project is a little bit different. So some projects it really get involved at the very end and you have, you know, no say in the filming process. So, um, I guess you have less responsibility, <laughs> so you can complain more if things were <laughs> wrong. But yeah, at the same time, I think, especially if it's a complicated or long project, it's nice to have the editor involved a little bit of a, at an earlier stage. And then, you know, you can ignore the advice or follow it. It's, uh, um, but sometimes they can highlight some uh, issues, even technical things, you know, um, it's usually kind of uh, um, how people work with sound, for example. Um, yeah, sometimes can be a little bit critical. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Enjoy. Your <laughs> Sorry, I missed that. Involve your editor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just going to ask uh, Zoe and Kieran as well about that. I mean, what was it like having Erica giving you her her experience, and um, you know, did you take? I guess you would take some of that. Um, some of that on board, but what, what was that like? I mean, as Karen said, you know, Erica is an absolute superstar, but also I think what was important, no, but what was also important to me and that we, Kieran and I had spoken about, and no way actually, is that Erica's Italian and has had an experience actually. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, please talk about it, but of, of moving to Scotland. And like I said, we're all white, which is not the dream when you're making a film about Nigerian priests, but we, we were trying to get diversity into the team and unfortunately there aren't that many collaborators in the filmmaking community in Scotland but it was important for me to feel like we had someone on the team who at least had an experience of immigration of immigrating and I think there were moments that Erica saw in the rushes that I that totally went over my head because I have never had that experience and it was really interesting and really important for me not only obviously to get your experience as an editor but also to get your lived experience um well, yeah, well, there were some moments that were quite interesting with Noah as well in the Edisvik. Um, there is the part where um, the fathers are dancing in the living room. And I remember there was lots of chat, is he offensive for Scottish people or yeah. not? And me being Italian, people make fun of, you know, kind of the gesturing and uh, maybe the accent or the tradition all the time. So for me, I didn't even think about it. I just kind of... Uh, um, whether Kieran and Sue were kind of looking at the first time, they were a little bit like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> How are people going to react about this? They're making fun of Scottish people. <laughs> yeah, that's specifically the moment where um, they do a, a Highland dance in the, in the living room. Uh, it's, it's a fun moment, I think. <laughs> yeah. Just, I don't think anyone could be offended. I hope not, anyway. Um, I, think, I think it was actually, yeah, it might have been a commissioner comment actually about that I think specifically which was flagging it as a potential but yeah, yeah. Well, I think we argued the, the 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 positive yeah and uh, and just again that relationship between you know you three and uh, you know having the editor involved was it a case of um, before of course now you couldn't do it but uh, back in you know the start of the year getting together and uh, working on things or was it all done remotely by email and, and things? Well, it was a bit of a, it, so yeah, there was, there was location issues. And um, as in Zoe is not in Edinburgh where 
where Eric and I were based and obviously everyone's also working on other projects. So it was very much a case, I believe, of a lot of reviewing footage and us all kind of, uh, kind of chiming in on what we thought were the moments that resonated yeah. most for us. And work pre-edit, really. Like yeah. We came in pre-edit having reviewed everything. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we, there was a certain amount of time of us in an editing room together. Um, yes, I mean, I think maybe three weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think most of the editors have actually been, um, well, I did loads of prep in advance. So I did sand rough cuts and I started doing assemblies of every scene, basically. Yeah. And then uh, we did loads of work together in the edit suite, maybe not necessarily both Kieran and Zoe at the same time. But I think, you know, either or, um, yeah, especially obviously Zoe um, came over from London um, to work with me. So when you were up here, yeah, yeah you know, it's not like, uh, yeah. Always there. <laughs> no, but it was good because it means we were both focused, you know. Yeah. We didn't quite have any other distractions or other things to attend on. Mm -hmm. So it was quite concentrated and focused, which I thought was good. And I, I, I guess as well, just maybe worth asking about that co-directing uh, relationship. I mean, I was just wondering there, you know, if one of you, I mean, I suppose it's a positive in a way, having different um, ideas and thoughts, but was there anything that you can remember, positive or negative, but just that idea of one of you thought one thing and one thought the other, and maybe even Erica had to be sort of in the middle there and then <laughs> and decide. But you know, how how do you sort of bring your own? Because of course you're b both bringing your own vision to it, but at the same time it has to be one. So how does that work? Easy. Uh, it in this case, yes, it was easy. Um, I don't think it. I I don't think it's a universal truth that it, it's always it's always easy. But I think both Zoe and I were very conscious that it was important to listen. Um, so we, and we both wanted to learn from each other, from yeah. the process, and also from Tom as well, who was, who was with us for, for, for a lot of the, of the production as well. So it was very much a case of nobody was like barging their ideas through or anything like that. And it was just trying to, um, yeah, just, just being really delicate in that, in that, in that process. Yeah, I think it really helped that we'd both made films on this scheme before. So I think for me, I it was great to basically be co-directing with someone who who I really admired Kieran's style and Thomas's style. And I really wanted to make a film that was more like that. So when Kieran was when we were ever discussing ideas, I was just super conscious that I wanted the film to look to look visually like outlying. So I mean I think that's the thing about co-directing is that if you if you admire someone's work, then you're already in a really good place. Um, and I think perhaps for me, co-directing with a friend is perhaps harder. Whereas we actually met professionally, and so it was it was a it was immediately a kind of respect, really. Um, and I'm trying to think. There were moments. Um, but there there were moments actually for me where Kieran was just right and I hadn't seen something until he suggested it and then we put it in and, it, and it, I feel like we both found things 
No, but do you remember, man, because you found the ending for the film, like that moment of the talking head, because I'd done some time with Erica, and then Kieran did some time with Erica and put in this talking head that now ends the film. And that for me, I, like, I, I feel like I never would have found that alone. I would never would have, I never would have thought of doing that as a director alone. So I, I feel like the film is so much stronger for both, for both, for both of our inputs. And I, I'm sure that lots of people don't feel like that after co-directing, but I, this has actually been a really wonderful experience for me. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think co-directing sometimes when it's a friendship, yeah, you, you need to really respect people as filmmakers, I think, first. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, we're mates, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do have a question, actually, from Ruby. She's been really, really positive on, uh, on, on Twitter. So thank you for all the retweets and, and things. She yeah, says, uh, Thanks, Ruth. All right, okay. Who <laughs> uh, says, Have you shown the film to the fathers yet? And what do they think of it? Yeah, we have. Um, this is actually a funny, this is a funny one, isn't it? Because people show contributors things at different stages, but we were quite clear that we only wanted to show them when we'd locked um, so that they weren't really able, as in we wanted, we, we need, I felt like we needed to have confidence that we were doing them justice. And so we didn't really want to be having a back and forth with them about the film. Um, I know different people work in different ways, but we had, we did have some conversations about that. And so that's how we wanted to do it. So we sent it to them and it was kind of nerve wracking, but they loved it, absolutely loved it. Um, and they're quite savvy guys. I don't think they were surprised by anything. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, thankfully, you know, we, we built up, um, you know, a, a strong level of trust. And, you know, we genuinely are, you know, quite good friends with them now. Yeah. And so, so so that was good and it was always important to us to 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 make a film that they would that they would like that the community would like um and it's quite interesting you know some of the community obviously watched it for the first time last night because it was only really the fathers that we'd, we'd sent it to in advance and thankfully they came back positive but then you're always thinking like oh i hope the community like it as well um but we were getting texts off off people in the community who who really enjoyed it so that was that was also heartening Brilliant. Do you think you'll ever, again, we don't know what's happening with the world, but do you think you'll ever try and get a screening up there, maybe a sort of a... Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Mm. I hadn't thought about that. That's quite a good idea, John. Well, we could do like a... <laughs> we'll do a socially distanced screening. Well... Oh, Eden Court. Let's go to Inverness, Eden Court and do a screening. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Tom, you know, it would be so great. <laughs> We should bring Tom in a little bit on this one, just because. Yeah, Tom... we haven't. Tom. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, you. I mean, it'd be interesting just to hear a little bit about your, um, you know, a bit more about your involvement and how. Because you have directed your your own films, um, also also, um, but you did the cam camera work, I guess, on, on on this film. But maybe you could talk about at what point were you brought in? Did you all know each other beforehand, or did know the STI? introduce you or how did that work? Well, I mean, I knew Kieran from before. We were through, we went through the Bridge and the Gap program um, together. Oh gosh, I can't remember how many years ago now. Um, so we met then and then had worked together on Outlying, um, which I shot for Kieran over on the Isle of Rum. And I think I really, I, I just 
got what Kieran wanted to do with things. Like as a director, he had a really strong kind of uh, a kind of an eye for narrative and a way for telling stories that I just really enjoyed as well. And visually, I think we were we were interested in the same things, trying to let scenes breathe, trying to uh, trying to look for for moments of comedy um, that uh, that help to tell the story. That that's nothing slapstick, but it's just that it's just that little bits of the humor that um, that really humanize scenes as well. And so I'm always keen to work with Kieran. And when he mentioned that there was a project in the Highlands, um, I was even more so because I'm from there myself and I, I kind of knew the, the areas that they were talking about as well. So I thought, oh, brilliant. Well, this is an opportunity for me to um, try to build in some of the locations I've always wanted to shoot in locally um, as well. And that's when we introduced the Zoe as well. And, and she's got such an energy and an ability, almost as like a director producer, as much as a director, to be able to um, diagnose a situation, work with collaborators, make sure everyone's comfortable, and just be able to take that, take, take a production to the next level as well. Um, it was really good. And I mean, it was, it was literally the three of us working on it. We didn't, we didn't have, there was no one else there to assist with the shooting. Um, so the the fact that it's a co-directing, you know, I've worked on projects with co-directors before, and I, and some of them have been an absolute nightmare because <laughs> the directors just argue over who is right, <laughs> and it and that has been that has been a challenge. But on, on a project like this, you know, Zoe was doing was picking up sound, Kieran was shooting, I was shooting, you know, like uh, we were going to different locations. Kieran was reviewing reviewing the rushes while me and Zoe were going out to collect some more scenes. Um, you know, there was there was there was so much to fit in, and such a small team that it was a really everyone had to kind of multitask to make it work. Um, and I think that level of collaboration um, was what made this a success. Because if they'd if if Kieran and Zoe had, had were just stuck to directing, there would not we, there wouldn't have been the ability there to to have a film. So they are they are obviously both filmmakers in their own rights as well. And that that the this kind of Swiss Army knife of tool sets that they bring to it, I think, really, really helped it to be successful um, as well. So, yeah, so no, it was a very positive experience. And I just want to say, you know, for me, when Kieran said we could get Tom to do it, like, that was great because the outline was so beautiful. So I felt like visually these two guys were just going to make sure we had the most stunning film. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have too much longer left, but I was kind of wondering, I think some people who watch who are watching this or who watch it uh, uh, in the future um, will be maybe starting out with filmmaking or or even be just before that wanting to get into filmmaking and and of course it's different for everyone but I just wondered if uh, if, if, if you have any suggestions what what to do if you want to uh, you know to make that first documentary whether it's a 10 minute or a five minute or even a 60 seconds you know what, what should people do? I think everyone has a really different journey. So for me personally, I actually do, a, I did a lot of work in theatre when theatre was still a thing. Um, but I write as well as making films. Um, and I think that, well, when it actually comes to documentary, for me, I think the most important thing that you have to do is make sure you have really solid relationships with your contributors. So if there's a story that you want to tell, make sure those people trust you, make sure you don't feel like you're manipulating them and follow their instincts as well as your own. And that's how you'll make sure that you've got a lovely film. In terms of the advice that I would give people who want to get into filmmaking, 
I know it's really cliched and I hated it when people told me this, but genuinely just do it. No one's gonna give you an opportunity to just make a film. Um, it will be crap, that's fine, make another one. Um, and the, uh, Kieran will, you know, both of us worked for so long before we got our first commission. And I think no one talks enough about failure. I get rejected every single day. Um, that's fine, that's part of the process. So it's about being resilient and knowing that you want to do this more than anything else. And it helps to have a side hustle, make sure you've got a job that also pays you because this won't for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll echo that exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, rejection. There's, there's been a lot of rejection on the way. And there will be plenty more to come. What were you, uh, Thomas? When you're doing it, it's the best job ever in the world, right? And oh, like, for sure, you know, for sure. So like being at my grandma's funeral and seeing these two guys and being like, you are amazing. Why are you here? I wish I could hear your life story. And then being last night watching it on BBC Scotland, it's just surreal. It's just the most surreal experience. And that's what makes it worthwhile. Um, but I just think it's worth, I, 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 I'm quite angry sometimes at this industry because I feel like we do not talk enough about rejection mm. or about the fact that all of us usually at this stage have part-time jobs that pay us or full-time jobs. So you are not a failure if you're getting rejected all the time, that's normal. And having a job that means that you eat is also normal. You're still an artist, just keep making your work. Yeah, and that rejection obviously, you know, makes any success you do have like, all, all the more rewarding um so yeah it's uh, all all part of the process yeah right. i, I thought just Erica want to add anything i'd love to hear you guys like advice or because it's different for cinematographers and i know yeah. Tom's the director as well it's different for editors there are different kind of ways in i guess yeah i think i think the thing i would say is that it's to try to collaborate as much as possible early on i think that's the biggest mistake that i made was almost being in my own little silo for for the first few years and not and not not having a network to work on to work with to collaborate with to learn from and that's the biggest difference that I've had over the last maybe 5 years is is just being being if an opportunity comes up you know and and seek not just taking an opportunity but seeking opportunities putting yourself out there reaching out to people on Instagram like I, I can't remember how many people I must have messaged at just completely out of the blue being like, hey, I love what you're doing. If you're ever looking for anyone to come on and help and work on a project, hit me up, you know? And that, that is, that's how you start building a network. And then obviously Scottish Docs, Bridge in the Gap program, all the stuff that you guys are doing as well is, is, is there for people. And, and since lockdown began, the amount of webinars, Zoom calls, like, online learning the stuff the, the the stuff that i've done on that is just like i probably saturated myself in them for enough for the next two years but that has been really beneficial as well and that's probably always been there you know it's just just making the time to do that has really helped as well so no i i think build build those networks of people that you admire and um yeah and and then that will filter into you you progressing through the career as well because the more people you know, the more people are going to get rejected. But if you've got a big web of people getting rejected, then someone's going to be, someone's going to get a commission. Yeah, <laughs> you might be able to work with them on it if you don't. Good point. 
Erica, what about yourself? Um, well, I might skip this question just because I think it's a little bit different maybe for editors uh, in the sense, um, I mean, I think the suggestion would be go and do it, you know, start kind of uh, do your university or your course, start just trying and editing online. But then the industry does work slightly different. So the best case scenario is you do start in a post-production facility, you start as a runner and then scale it up really. Mm-hmm. Although um, the industry in Scotland is quite small. So even the chances to do that are quite slim. So um, yeah, I think keep in touch with people and uh, be creative and just do things. That's definitely the best advice. Um, Shall I I throw out an inspirational quote? Go for it. Now this is is one of my favorite quotes of all time. This is from The Office, like the original UK office. And I think it's like the end of series one and Tim, uh, I think that's his name, isn't it, Tim? Um, he's considering whether to leave his, leave his job and he's kind of resolved himself to, to going and pursuing uh, his passion. And he says, it's better to be at the bottom of a ladder you want to climb than halfway up one you don't. <laughs> nice. And that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great one. Which he then completely reverses at the beginning of season two when he has stayed in his job for, I think, 500 pound salary increase or something like that. <laughs> that's the office. So there we go. Okay, we've only got a few minutes left. Apologies we couldn't get Noe onto the call. She, um, I think she's just technical problems. We just couldn't get her onto this one, sadly. Um, but, uh, but of course, as I've kind of referenced or touched on a few times, we are in a strange... Strange world just now, of course, in lockdown. Uh, and I would normally ask about what your next project is. I'd like to still ask you that, actually, but I realise that it's uh, perhaps different than, than maybe it would have been originally panning out. But yeah, what, what are you guys kind of working on at the moment? That goes for all four of you, actually. What, what are you working on? Starting with Zoe. Start with me? Okay. Yeah. Well, I think you start with Kieran and Erica, actually, because they're cooking up sort of magic from what I'm seeing. Um, but I, yeah, I... I was about to start work on another documentary when lockdown hit. Unfortunately, the access is slightly sensitive, so I think that's now probably not going to happen. God damn it, COVID! Um, but I am working on a fiction short. Um, yeah, looking at kind of sex, work, and disability and power, um, which hopefully, yeah, I'm in I'm in pre-production for at the moment. We'll be writing the script and hopefully shooting when we can shoot. That's the that's the plan. Um, yeah. Great. Yeah. Are you, are you allowed to talk about your new yeah, project? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, yeah, so there's, yeah, there's, a, there's a few different things happening. It, it's funny, everything's kind of, a few things that were in early stage development have been put on the back burner, but it's actually allowed to drive, it's allowed me to drive forward a, a different project I've been working on for, for a wee while, uh, which I'm actually working on with Eric and Tom as well. So in many ways, that project wouldn't be as far on as as it as it would be uh in a weird way if if lockdown hadn't hit so okay swings and roundabouts oh come on you've got to talk about <laughs> that's what we're getting what do you want me to do the pitch it's great it's well it's so it's so completely different the project i'm working on is so completely different to our fathers 
it's uh, it it, re it revolves around the protagonist of the Loch Ness monster. So that's that's all I'm gonna. <laughs> that's okay. all I'll say about it. So there we go. So is that is that uh, is that fiction or is that documentary or? Uh, it's it's a do it's a documentary. It's um, a couple of years ago we uh, there was a a geneticist who travelled over from New Zealand um, to test the waters uh, with uh, for environmental DNA to be able to conclusively say what species live within the law. And it made quite big uh, news around the world last year when he announced his results. And so basically this is the kind of story of their expedition. It's a kind of behind the scenes kind of story on, on that, so. Behind the scenes and under the, under the surface, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, great. Uh, anything you want to add, Thomas or Erica, or it sounds like you're all working together, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely um, working together. I feel like the I work uh, with Aerial Frontiers doing uh, aerial cinematography stuff as well as like my kind of paid job, I suppose. And it's, the industry is just starting to come back to life now, so that's that's kind of that's kind of nice um, as well. I don't know. Hopefully, that's echoed by everyone um, kind of across the industry with. with with the new guidance it's just but it's just such a strange way of working now The it's totally different um like we did we were shooting a commercial the other week and the whole that was directed from london via zoom so we were zoom live streaming the entire shoot uh whilst we were all on location and they were in they were in london and it's just it's a very very different world um to work in now so yeah so that's good but and also we've got um a documentary that worked on a few years ago about Jenny Graham who cycled around the world um, so that will hopefully which Erica uh, also edited um, too so that should be coming coming out soon it's just final tweaks there so look like 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 Kieran using lockdown to try to wrap up these long-term projects that that we've all kind of sunk ourselves into and uh, and never never have time to never have time to finish so yeah that's been a been a benefit Thanks to Zoe and Kieran for joining us. We'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. You can also sign up for our newsletter at scottishdocinstitute.com forward slash subscribe to hear about the latest news and event details. Mm -hmm.